Well, here at Batting 1000, we are nearing the end of season one. We've had incredible guests ranging from the CEO of a major industry publication to the host of a nationally syndicated radio show to sought after economists and more. If you missed some of the season, don't worry. We'll be sharing highlights from these conversations and others during our upcoming season one replay, where we'll listen to and dissect our favorite moments from all of season one before we enjoy a brief off season ahead of season two. Speaking of which, we need your help to build our lineup. If you or someone you know should be Dale's next guest on Petting 1000, let us know at dalevermillion.com forward slash listen or by emailing our team at listen at dalevermillion.com. Those are the key areas I would think about. There's also a, a model I use from social work days, actually. It's based on the a trauma-informed care model that I think applies really well to sales. Um, I wrote an article in Housing Wire about it, but these five tenants are something to keep in mind, um, especially for a group of very skeptical consumers. And so that's one, create a sense of safety. Two, uh, create a sense of transparency, provide transparency. Three, be collaborative. Fourth, provide choice. And then fifth, um, ensure your customers feel empowered. So that safety, transparency, collaboration, choice, and empowerment are great things to keep in mind across the whole process, just to make sure that you provide the, the best customer experience. You're listening to Batting 1000 with Dale Vermillion, where heavy hitters from mortgage, real estate, and business share their secrets for lasting success. With your host, award-winning sales strategist and industry icon, Dale Vermillion. Well, welcome back, guys. We are so glad to have you back on Batting 1000. And uh, today, I really do get to speak to a heavy hitter in the customer experience world. Kristen Messerly, come on down. We are so glad to have you on deck here and uh, and ready to go to the plate. And Kristen, we talked earlier today, and I, I just got to say, uh, first off, I'm so honored to have you, so excited to have you as part of the thing. Just to, so everybody knows a little bit about you, you are the VP of Sales and Financial Services at Experience.com. Um, you have been around the business for a while. Social Survey was previously Experience.com, so you guys transitioned that over. You had your own company. You had a uh, company before this. Didn't you tell us a little bit about that and how that worked? And then you were at Housing Wire prior to that. That's kind of where I first met you and got to know about you. Just give us a little bit of that background so we know because you've done a lot of things at a very young age. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Um, I So I've been in the industry, I feel like my whole life because my dad owned a mortgage company when I was young. So I grew up go, you know, going into his office. Uh, but then I started a business about 10 or 11 years ago called Cultural Outreach. And at the time, it was going to be a way to bridge the gap between um, underserved markets and resources in the community. Because I, I was, I worked as a social worker for about seven years, and I did a lot of financial literacy and housing coordination, um, and just saw a big opportunity there for companies to hire people to help bridge that gap. So um, it very quickly evolved into being totally focused on the mortgage industry, because there was such a, a huge need and desire to better reach those markets. And it also quickly evolved into being a very generational thing. So a lot, I realized there was a big tech gap and there was a big generational gap in culture and in the workforce. And so, um, so yeah, I grew that to the point of last December, I sold it to NAMBA, so Tony Thompson's company. And um, so it's now one of the NAMBA family of companies. And that's when I joined experience.com. And then in, in the middle of that, I've done a lot of uh, writing for Housing Wire as well. 
That's very cool. Nam was doing some great things, so glad to see that. And it's kind of fun. I, I almost wore my Humble Hero t-shirt. We have a not-for-profit that we started back in 2007, and our slogan is Be a Humble Hero. And I'm with a Humble Hero today. I love the fact that you were in social services, that you built that company, that you've grown that, that that ended up becoming a success. I know you've had past experience with Housing Wire, and actually the way that I got to know your name the first time, as I was telling you earlier, is you wrote an article, and there was a blurb that I used for a long time, uh, back in 2020, when the pandemic first started and rates were starting to shift and the market was starting to shift and there was a lot of concern. And it really was talking about the importance of creating a great customer experience. And that's what you're dedicated to at experience.com. That's what you guys do. So I am super excited to unpack that with you today and, and help uh, all of the lenders and all of the loan officers and all of the managers and all of the leaders that are watching this podcast understand from your perspective, what are the key things in building a great customer experience? So let's just start there. Give me, give me just your kind of high level view on what you think is the biggest missing link in today's mortgage arena and in, in not connecting with our customers because, you know, everybody talks about a great customer experience. <laughs> everybody says they have it, but very few deliver it at the end of the day. And, and I want to hear from you. What does it take to deliver that? So I personally think the number one most important thing that a lot of companies are missing is is listening to your customer, like actually collecting the the voice of customer at multiple touch points in the process. Um, I and this is why I joined Experience.com. I mean, I've always been about voice of customer and and building a customer experience where you actually understand what they need and and their preferences. Um, but here we're able to collect the a touch point or automate a kind of survey response at multiple touch points in the process. And I think a lot of companies are are just either collecting a survey for a review at the end of the transaction or not hearing anything at all. And um, I went through the process of buying a home earlier this year, and I just think about how I ended up choosing not to go with the lender that I was first introduced to by my realtor. And I think about how much was lost in that because they didn't ask why. You know, I mean, no one ever reached out to me to find out why did you not go with this lender or check in with me. And even for a lot of people, the process is very frustrating or it can be tiresome. And if the customer just feels like they have a voice that they are able to tell someone, it can one raise a flag to catch the deal before you lose it, uh, but it also allow and it you know gives you intel into here's some of the issues that we're having across the board. Um, but it also gives the customer a sense of empowerment and that they can participate in building a better customer experience for themselves and for others. Man, you you just dropped some golden nuggets there that I think are so important. A couple of things I want to unpack. First off, you talked about listening to your customers. Cannot cannot agree more with that statement. You know, for decades, I've been training loan officers and leaders across the country and, and mortgage companies. And I, I think the number one missing ingredient in today's marketplace, you know, we're so tech minded today and we got such great technologies, but we're losing that connection with the customer where there's relationship and relationship starts with listening skills. You can't you can't solve what you don't understand. I say that all the time. And you're not going to know how to please your customer or serve your customer well if you don't listen to what their needs are. So that was huge. And then you talked about empowerment and empowering the customers so that you have a better handle. So 
Help us understand a little bit better for, for a manager, a loan officer, anybody out there listening today that wants to understand how to really listen better, understand their customers better, get a better insight to them. Give us some ideas on things that you've seen, things that you've done, things that experience does um, that, that makes that happen. Yes. Okay. So I'll give some specific action items there, but first I want to introduce the idea that I mean, one of the topics that I speak on all the time is in building a, a good customer experience. The two primary ingredients are empathy and empowerment. And I think right. that we have come to a point in the customer experience where it, it has to be customer centric and the customer has to feel that they have ownership in every step of the process. And in making the biggest financial decision of their lives around buying a home, a lot of times we feel very out of control and we certainly don't feel empowered. And so, you know, anything you can do to help support that their knowledge, their um, you know trust and sense of safety, and and also that they have a voice that helps lean into a sense of of empowerment for the customer. Um, so, yeah. oh, go, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. I wanted to say. Oh, one I'm going to get some action points, but I, I figure you have okay. something to respond to. <laughs> well, the one thing I wanted to say in that is two, two key words there: empathy you talked about an empowerment. And I'm going to add one more E in there that I think ties really nicely into it. And this is a message that I'm teaching all the time is education. Mm -hmm. You empathize first to understand their situation. You empower them through education so that they can do it. And what that unlocks is the opportunity. So I, I love how you did it. So please give us some practical. Yes. We, we'd love to hear some of the practical suggestions you have on that. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely. Number one is education. That was what I was going to say anyway, I think education, and that's really what cultural outreach was built on. I think that it's so important to help people feel empowered through knowledge. Um, and so at the very beginning, when someone reaches out or that you're introduced to someone, you're helping them understand what to expect in the home buying process. You're giving them a rent versus own analysis or something related to helping them understand their specific, you know, options through this process. And on that note, I'll say when I first started thinking about buying a home, I was really pushing back on the idea that it was a good investment for me. I'm in LA, it's a crazy market. And it wasn't until I was able to see with my, you know, my own analysis and, and actually I use something from mortgage coach and analysis to be able to see this is, this does make good sense for me. And I think so many people push back on that. But uh, the second area is to think about how to um, have multiple touch points so that you give that mm -hmm. customer a voice. So like I was saying before, you as soon as they complete an application, you have an automated thing that goes out that says, hey, you just completed your application. Congratulations. Um, is there anything, any questions you have? Do you have any questions? And then, um, you know, 15 days into the process, you have a checkpoint. Hey, we haven't heard from you in a minute or, hey, we're, we're making progress, um, you know, wanted to check in with you. And then definitely at closing, you know, just having those meaningful touch points along the way where a customer has the opportunity to reach out and they feel nurtured through that process. Um, so those are, those are a couple areas. I think the, the last area I would mention is, um, is around transparency and just how important it is for, from the customer's perspective to be able to feel that they can see into where the loan is throughout the process. And, um, they, yeah, they, they're able to know, okay, right now it's going through underwriting or right now it's, it's just taking a little bit longer for this reason. Um, but for someone who as a customer has spent most of their adult life in a world of instant gratification, 
and complete transparency. You know, I mean, we buy most things off of the internet and whatever, and it's really hard to then spend the biggest amount of money I've ever spent and not know what's happening in the process. So that, I think that's a, you know, transparency needs to be a, a big component to your customer experience. So knowledge, touch points, and transparency were the three strategic things. Love all three of those. Um, I, I need to ask you this question. So you're a millennial, correct? Yeah. Okay. You, you're in that generation of the largest generation of human beings buying homes out in the mortgage industry today. So you are a lot of who our, our customers are working with, the loan officers dealing with, lenders are dealing with. Uh, I want you to, to help the audience understand this because I love it. You said when you started, your dad owned a mortgage company. So you were raised around mortgage. You, you worked at housing wire. You, you know all about mortgage. You've worked for mortgage entities and vendors. And yet when you bought a home, you realize very quickly, man, with all this mortgage industry experience, even I don't know that much at the end of the day. <laughs> so help us understand, like help, help the audience kind of realize and recognize even when you have that much knowledge, how important it is to be handheld through the process when you're working with your customers to create a great experience. Yeah, so this is actually really eye-opening for me as well, just like watching myself go through this process because I, uh, I've i talked about the customer experience of the millennial home buyer for you know the last 10 or 11 years. And I, and I, I bought a home in Oklahoma 10 years ago that was a very different experience. I could buy that on, or it was a little over that because I, I was still a social worker at the time, very different market. And um, now going, being in LA and knowing all that I know, I mean, yeah, I've been licensed as a loan officer. I, I, I know what it takes to buy a home. And yet I was so skeptical about whether or not it was a good idea for me to buy, um, about understanding when I could buy. And um, so even just starting the process, I kept laughing at myself because I would talk to you know a friend who's the president of a mortgage company or whatever, and he'd be like, yeah, hello, of course it's a good investment. And I'm like, of course you would say that. You know? <laughs> and I kept laughing at myself thinking, this is what I talk about, how so many millennials are just skeptical. We this guy who I completely trust. I've worked with him for years, but he, you know, I was like, yeah, you're the president of a mortgage company. Of course you think it's a good investment. You know? And I, and so it's very, I was very skeptical. And again, it wasn't until I saw this rent versus zone that I was able to see, okay, this, this actually makes sense for me to buy right now. Like not even, and I'm a big proponent of saying, make a home ownership plan for everyone because one, they'll always, they'll, they could, come back to you. But two, a lot of people could buy right now and don't realize it. And it, that was the case for me. I was able to see, oh yeah, for sure I should buy right now. And I I wasn't even worried about a, a down payment, I think. It was more like a, I don't know whether or not it's a, a good time in the market, but when you see the cost, you know, over two years or whatever, I realized, oh no, it makes a lot of sense. So that was that was one big area of just like actually getting into the process of buying a home. And then all the way through, I was, you know, felt all the anxiety around, can I, why haven't I heard from my loan officer? Or, yeah. You know, I am choosing my loan options. And again, I know what all these loan options are. I know how to read a loan estimate. I, you know, was, but then suddenly I'm like, what discount uh, points am I missing? What, what extra fees are in here? And, you know, how do I choose which loan option is right for me? And I just felt really overwhelmed and as if I was a, 
I felt like a child, you know, like looking at some of this stuff sometimes, because I think when it's your money and you're going through the process at what essentially felt like the first time was, it was a different experience than thinking about it logically. And so I, I talk about this a lot too, that we don't think about, we think we think about money logically, but it's actually a very emotional experience. Boy, isn't that the truth? That's, that's a well state stated fact right there that money is incredibly emotional. And so is buying a home. I mean, this is, you said earlier, it's the biggest purchase people make and, and it is there, it's where they're going to create their future, where they're going to, you know, maybe raise their families, where, where they're going to spend most of their time, where, where maybe they'll end up, you know, getting married. I mean, there's so many life events that happen in the centrality of a home and we've got to remember as mortgage professionals that we're not in the mortgage business. We're in the home ownership business. We're in the life-changing business. We're in the, as I always like to say, the money given away business. <laughs> That's the business that we're in. And I think it's really neat that, you know, you being raised in a household where your dad, who I'm sure you love and trust implicitly, who was a mortgage professional, even with that, you were still a little bit concerned, a little bit like distrusting in that. And I talk to loan officers every day and managers every day in this business are like, well, you know, that customer, they know what they're talking about. They've been online. They're, they're knowledgeable. Wait a minute. Kristen was doing this for 10 years. It was a exactly. licensed loan officer and still had those kind of concerns. So we've got to remember and put ourselves back in the shoes of that borrower. If we want to create a, create a great experience, it starts by putting yourself in the shoes of your customer and trying to understand what they're feeling. I think that's so vitally important. So yeah. let me ask you this question. Um, you know, technology, as you know, has been the rage in our industry now for the last four or five years in, a, in an unbelievably increasing fashion. More and more and more, I see it every day. Okay, loan officers who literally take a link, send it to their borrowers, don't really want to have a conversation with them. You know, I, I see, I listen to calls constantly when I'm working with my clients and doing call reviews and those kind of things, where I'm hearing loan officers with the borrowers saying to them, I, I want to take an application. I, I want to ask you a few questions. I want to know a little bit more. And their response many times is, you know what, let me send you this link, fill this stuff out, and then I'll call you. It's kind of the, I'll, I'll give you the information once you give me the information first. And they're not really meeting those needs. They're not listening like you talked about. They're not being transparent like we talked about. And they're certainly not creating the touch points. And then they're relying on that technology to do the work. And even on the backside, and, and you guys have incredible technology that allows that customer to be in tune with what's happening, to have the loan officers and the lenders have the opportunity to keep them up to date on things. But I got to ask you this question. With all of that, how important is the human side of this and the human touch and the human connection and the relationship from your vantage point. Yeah. So I think in today's world, there's a lot of nuance around when and how to incorporate the human touch, but I think it is very crucial. I think we, you know, there's always, and there's going to continue to be buyers who want to just fully be in the technology and not ever have a, a person to talk to. So that's a, a small segment of the population. But then there's a much larger segment of the population that's going to want both. And I think that understanding when and how to incorporate the technology versus the human experience is going to require that you, like you said, have, you know, understand what that customer needs. And so 
you know, for me, when I started the process and someone started taking the loan app over the phone, I felt uncomfortable. Like for me, I thought, I don't know what you're doing with this information. It just, it felt, and I know that many people, a lot of times older than me have said they don't feel comfortable filling out the application online, you know, that they're like, how is this safe? And so I think, again, you have to understand the customer and be able to say, hey, do you want me to just ask some questions and, and I can complete this loan app over the phone? Or do you want me to send you a link to this? And then we can discuss. I would much prefer they send that link. And so for me, I think if I can connect my bank account, and which should be you should be able to do today, and I, and I know that that's encrypted and safe and whatever, and I can complete the loan application, and then we can have a real discussion around my loan options and, and what's happening. That's where I want the human experience. But I think that yeah, you have to understand what the specific customer wants. And I think about it similar to the way that I'm working with a financial planner. I, in the past, had been putting a lot of my money into robo-advisors, and it's just pure technology. Uh, but then I thought I want a wealth advisor. And so now I use something called personal capital, where there's a human who gives advice and I talk through them, but then they also leverage their technology for their algorithm and, you know, to um, for the investment. So I think that that's probably the direction that we'll go in. And then there's, again, still a small segment of the population that just want, wants to talk to the person. So you said a couple of really key things there. And, and, and I, I want to dig a little deeper on this. You said that there will always be that audience that wants to do it completely technology based. I agree with that. But then you said the key thing, it's a small percentage of the people. Do you happen to know what that percentage is? Do you have any studies or any uh, any data or just even a feel from, you know, you've been around this industry a while. You, you know these numbers pretty well because I, I know I know I've got all kinds of data I've looked at on this, but I'd love to hear it from you instead of coming from me. So I would think that it, it's a really small, like really small percentage that wants pure technology. Because even if yep. you look at the better mortgage experience, I mean, they still have someone that's calling and you talk yep. to them and then, and then everything is a, a great online experience and same thing with rocket you know so i i think that i i'm more talking about in the future when everything is, is you have really great technology all the way through i would imagine that that's still going to be only i don't know 10 percent of the population um but i think that the vast majority is going to we we need to rely on technology a lot for efficiency and effectiveness and you know all of that but i think that there still always needs to be someone who is going to be that really trusted advisor to to talk through the process with yeah boy i, I could not agree with you more you are dead on on that and by the way statistically Around the average that I've seen based on the different surveys is about 7% of people today that they they basically say, look, I, I don't really need to talk to anybody. I'm, I'm fine doing it online. Um, and even that 7%, we find that those statistics, when you actually start to pare those down, they're going to usually talk to somebody at some point in the process. Um, because the problem with technology, we all know, is it can't listen, it can't reason. And, and it certainly can't communicate and 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 provide that empathy that you talked about that's so vitally important. That's the things that technology can provide. But on the other side, we've got to be mindful and understanding of the place and the power of technology in our industry that it is such an, a great tool. And you mentioned it earlier. You know, an online application, today you can basically provide all your documentation and do the process online. And mo more people are getting more comfortable with that. And as years go by, that will increase in numbers. But we do know that when you look at drop-off rates, for example, on online applications, you got three major drop-offs. It's social security number, 
That's a place people drop off a lot. It's income. That's a place they drop off a lot. And then lastly, when you're asking to connect um, any of that, you know, bank stuff, that always ends up being a drop off. So that's where the human element becomes really important to come in. I also think that the looking at your loan options, I mean, like I said before, the whole logic versus emotion side of things, it's very overwhelming for the customer to look at that. And I remember when I had the loan officer sent me a total cost analysis. And when I first looked at it, I was like, why can't I read this? Like I've read so many total cost analyses in the the past. I've done videos about them, all kinds of stuff. And then when it came to my own, again, I just felt stressed and overwhelmed. And then when he sent over a video on top of that, sharing, you know, that kind of information, I thought, oh, okay, now I feel okay. Of course it's that option. That's the best one for me, you know? And I mean, I physically felt the difference, but it goes back to these are humans buying homes. So they're having an emotional experience they're not going to be able to do everything logically uh, through, you know, and make those decisions on their own. Well, and it's like anything in life. We all need affirmation. Even in the things we think we're making right decisions on, we we like to have somebody who is a quote unquote expert who says, no, that's the right decision. Let me explain to you why that's the right decision. And we can look at the data, but the data doesn't give us that feeling inside that says, this is the right thing to do. It's amazing how you only get that through a human connection. And, and, and I think it's cool that you talked about that. And, and for anybody who's listening who doesn't understand total cost analysis, it's just the total cost over the life of the loan in comparison to what you're at today. So you talked earlier about rent to own, and I talk about this all the time. You know, you take somebody who's a renter and you simply show them what their cost is going to be over the next 10 to 20 years and what they're going to get in return. You compare that to home ownership, there's no comparison. I, I mean, when you start figuring equity appreciation, wealth building, tax benefits, all these different things you can tie into home ownership that renting doesn't provide, not to mention the instability that renting has that homeownership does not have because now you're in your place. It's an overwhelming thing, but you're not going to, you're not going to give them a spreadsheet to get them to buy that. You got to have a conversation with them. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, and also, I mean, one thing to keep in mind, I'm a big proponent of video because you build a connection with someone when you look at them eye to eye and you, you build a better relationship than if they're on the phone and they're looking through something, they can easily check out and they see you kind of as a transaction. But when you look at them over video, we release oxytocin and we're more likely to be attached to that person. So that's just another kind of thing to keep in mind. So I'm going to ask you a few things about that because I, I've been on probably like you, I've been on way too many Zoom meetings over the last two years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we've, all, we've all got that major Zoom fatigue. And and I I am constantly on Zoom meetings and I'm looking at people, you know, I'm looking at you today. You're right in the center of the camera. Like supposed to be got a nice clean background. You know, we've done this a lot. So we know how, how, how you're supposed to present yourself in, in any kind of a video format. But I see a lot of people that I want to say, hey, hello, <laughs> do you see your background and all these? What are some of the key elements? If you're going to do video, there is an absolute plus. If you do it right, there's an absolute negative. If you do it wrong, give us a couple of tips on that from your perspective as to what's powerful and important about doing video the right way. Yeah, I think, I mean, you can keep it really simple. I mean, a lot of people invested in a lot of nice webcams and all these different things. And I I have a microphone, but really what's important is that you have a quiet space, you have a clean background and, um, and that you have good lighting. That's ideally you're in a space where I've I've got windows around me. So I've got some natural lighting, but if you need a, 
um, you know, ring light or something like that, get those are super inexpensive, but that would be the top priority in doing a zoom meeting. And then, um, I'm trying to think about, yeah. So I I think that it, it can be super simple, but what are your thoughts? Well, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's important that we think about how we're dressed, what 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 the surroundings are around us. Is there activity behind us that's going on? There's just so many things to consider that I think a lot of times people just forget. They, they we've just lived so long for a lot of us in this work from home environment where we've kind of forgot that we're sitting in the middle of our living room and everybody's peeking into the middle of your living room, and that could be a not so good thing depending on on the that's activity. It. Yes. That's what I was going to say. I I was trying to remember um, the dressing thing. So, you know, whatever pants you have or not, that's fine. But you need to have a a suit jacket or a just a nice shirt. It doesn't even have to be a suit, just a nice shirt or even a T-shirt that represents your company or whatever. Um, I think that looks really sharp and it can be, I don't know, a like if you look really messy, people don't trust you as much. And so that's just, if you're in sales at all, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Absolutely true. So in other words, un- look like Kristen, don't look like me because I didn't wear my sport coat yeah. this time. I was relaxed. <laughs> I just well, realized that as you came out. <laughs> you look great. I, you, just in general, look clean. I also have a t-shirt on, but it's a it's a company t-shirt. <laughs> well, we, we- we, we had a big conversation about wardrobe because that that's a big deal for me on video, you know, depending on what it is. When we named it batting a thousand, we're like, okay, that's a relaxed kind of thing. So it's okay probably not to wear a sport coat oh, every yeah. time, but you look nice and professional. Way to go, Kristen. And, uh, and, and it's I important. Will say, yeah. And I think if you're wearing like too much of a suit, I don't know, it can also make people feel a little bit stiff or whatever. But the idea is just that you don't look like you just crawled out of bed, you know, right. like you, you did, you did something with your hair or whatever. But I think, um, yeah, just I've seen a lot of people look like they're still in bed or (laughs) crawling out of bed. And I'm like, I don't know, as long as you're on the back end of things and it's an internal meeting, I guess. Okay. But, um, but yeah, when you're trying to sell to someone, you want to keep it looking sharp and clear. So true true story. I got to share this one with you. I actually did a webinar uh, last year and (laughs) one of the loan officers truly had just crawled out of bed. He didn't realize his camera was on. He lifted a sheet over his head and was just peering through the sheet. And I literally looked at him and said, did you just wake up? And all of a sudden the camera went off, it went dark. And two minutes later, he was sitting at his desk, you know, with his ball cap on and his shirt on. That's not the impression you want to make. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. (laughs) One time I had a guy open the zoom meeting and he was in bed, no shirt on. And, uh, and I was just like, and then he was like, oh, well, oh, well, (laughs) so I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of funny zoom stories out there. I'm sure. Oh, there's a lot of them. No question. So let me, ask you this question. And, and then I want to talk for a little bit more about you. I, I've got a, a key question I want to ask you about your career and about just um, how you got to where you're at. Because um, I think that's gonna be very encouraging for a lot of people. But you talked about, um, you know, the things you guys do at experience.com where you're providing um, these, you know, these technological reminders to the customers, checking in with them and, and, and having those touch points that you talked about. And, and those are vital. And those are so powerful. 
but how much do you also have to add to that the human touch points too during the process? Because I've always been a, a firm proponent that, you know what, the mistake I think we make so many times in this business is here's the loan officer who's your, your main point of contact within a mortgage transaction. They are the trusted advisor, or they should be. You mentioned it many times, comparing it to financial advisors. And that's how I always train loan officers. You're not a mortgage person. You're a financial advisor who works with mortgages and you're helping them in all aspects of that. But here's the key. If you all of a sudden just are eliminated out of the process, you're up front, you're building this relationship, you're building this trust, and then you're not heard from again and all they hear from is their processor and the rest of the file, that can really have a detrimental impact on the customer experience. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I can see you agreeing just even with the, the nod in your head. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and what you think are some of the key touch points and timing and those kind of things that, that make sense for customers. Yeah, so I get so upset over the just one contact and then never hear from again until closing because it, it makes you feel like a number in a transaction and that that's not how you want your customers to feel i think the processors or, or loa or whoever can be really useful around being super responsive and um and i think that's helpful always when someone sends something over to have someone that can immediately respond to their questions or say hey let me get with the you know loan officer to talk about this but the loan officer should be talking at the crucial touch points. So yeah, at the beginning of the process, when they first reach out, um, after when they're choosing their loan options and then prepping them for closing. And I think at least those three times you should have an actual conversation on video or over the phone. Um, and then I, I also really like the idea of sending someone a video going over their loan options as they're doing that, because a lot of people have other significant others or family members who are helping them make these decisions and they want to be able to pass that information along as well. So I think that, you know, those are the places that I would say you probably know better than I do. That's just from, um, you know, the experience on the consumer side. But what are your thoughts? I love that. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about all the time that is really important is when you're presenting your options and when you're going through the final details to get decision from that customer, it's so important that you have, if there's a joint applicant, you should have them in on that call because they're going to have to make the decision and it gives you a chance to connect with them, to meet them, to answer their questions at an expert level too. Um, but I, I do love that idea that if you couldn't do that and you could at least create a video, they're still going to get all of the benefit of seeing you. And then you can always have a conversation after the fact. So we're both in agreement on the fact that it is important that there's personal touch points after the initial sale, because if you all of a sudden go away. It's like, where was that relationship that you told me you had? And did you really care about my, you know, my financial situation or are you just the person who's, you know, taking the upfront information, making all the money, and then you're handing off to everybody else. We should use our teammates as supporting roles to that process, but not as the primary role to that process. Yeah. And one other thing I want to emphasize is in preparation for closing, I think by that point, a lot of loan officers who are treating the, or not even intentionally, but thinking about it as a transaction, they're not thinking about the lifelong uh, customer who's going to be a great referral source for them. Um, and if, if you don't take that time right before closing to help prepare them, make sure that they have all of their uh, questions answered. But I remember when I was signing my closing documents, both times actually, 
I, I felt really lost. I mean, I was just like, hope all yeah. of this is good, you know? And I, I, I was like laughable because I was just flipping through them at a certain point thinking like, yes, I'm all my trust is in this person. Hopefully it's all good. You know? And I, I think that if the loan officer ahead of time had said, here are the things that you're going to be signing. And do you have any questions or anything else you're unsure about? You know, that would help me feel totally confident going into that. Cause I, obviously I'm not going to read through every single document. Most people are not going to read through all of that, um, ahead of time, but you know, you keep getting more DocuSigns and when you do it all in person, it's just, it's pretty overwhelming. And so you want to feel that sense of, okay, yeah, we were a team here, we collaborated. And now beyond the transaction, I'm going to make sure everyone I know and care about goes to that person as well, because I feel I felt taken care of. Great. Is there any other practices that you would recommend to loan officers for just getting great feedback from their customers and understanding them better? I mean, I, I just, I love how you started this with talking about the importance of listening, man, I beat that drum all the time. Um, is there any others that you would recommend besides what you've talked about already? I think that uh, doing something celebratory at the end of the closing, I think that's always good. If you send them a bottle of champagne or a plant or whatever, uh, it's just important to have that touch point that makes them feel like, okay, yeah, I was in this from beginning to end. And, and when you book into those experiences with something great, you have an awesome explanation of what the process is going to look like. And then you help them choose their loan options. And then you close with some kind of celebration and sense of empowerment, then you're going to be solid. No matter if, if some bad stuff happens in between there uh, and you're responsive, then you've had a great experience. So I think that those are the key areas I would think about. There's also a, a model I use from social work days, actually. It's based on the trauma-informed care model that I think applies really well to sales. Uh, I wrote an article in Housing Wire about it, but these five tenants are something to keep in mind, um, especially for a group of very skeptical consumers. And so that's one, create a sense of safety. Two, uh, create a sense of transparency, provide transparency. Three, be collaborative. Fourth, provide choice. And then fifth, um, ensure your customers feel empowered. So that safety, transparency, collaboration, choice, and empowerment are great things to keep in mind across the whole process, just to make sure that you provide the, the best customer experience. I love that. That That's a drop the mic moment right there. That, that was perfect. And, and that, you know, it's interesting. I would love for, for uh, you to meet my wife, Laurel. She was a social worker for, for several years, for 10 years with the homeless um, here in wow. Florida. And yeah, she's done incredible work helping people. It's just amazing. But when you said those five, it was almost ringing in my ear. Wow, that's what Laurel did in every single interaction with people that she had. And I was picking up and learning from her every single day how I could apply that back to the mortgage business because it's the same. People are people. No matter what their situation is, people are people. And when we understand empathy and we understand how to understand by listening and, and really getting feedback from people, we can solve a lot for them and help them in an awful lot of ways. And I love how you've tied your social work background into the mortgage arena and through those things have just built a brilliant approach to customer experience. Yeah, it's really interesting. I didn't put that together until a little bit later. And I, I realized that the traumatized populations I worked with, which I, I worked a lot with the homeless populations, homeless youth in particular, and undocumented people. And I um, realized that there are a lot of people that are hard to build trust with. And then yep. you think about today's consumers, 
especially in mortgage, you know, millennials having entered adulthood during or right after the financial crisis, there's a lot of distrust. And if you use that same model, it makes sense that you're building trust with a, a skeptical group of consumers. Man, that is golden. And, and I'm thinking in the mortgage industry, you know, uh, again, I, I I have a good understanding of the homeless community because I did a lot of, of charitable work with my wife over the years that she did that um, and spent a lot of time in, in those communities at, at, you know, helping in any way that I could. And it was always interesting to me, I've shared this with many people that, you know, a lot of people have a wrong view of the homeless and that they think that they did something wrong or they just aren't hard workers. And the fact of the matter is that 90% of the case, that's not it. They they went through some terrible, hard experience in life. Many more normal people like you and I had, had everyday jobs and they were going to work and living life and something bad happened. And, and they are hurt and wounded through that. And they really do need people to listen and understand them. And then I think about the mortgage industry and I think about people who've gone through like credit issue problems where they've had a devastating financial impact like 2008 provided to so many Americans across the country from 2008 to 2010. And when we get on the phone with them, if we can be empathetic and have an ear to that and let them talk to us about, you know, what happened, what did that feel like? And, and start to get some of those safety concerns out because those are still in their heart for the distrust factor of, man, I got burned on that mortgage. It hurt my credit. Now I have to do a mortgage against one on a home. And we forget that that's a conversation. It's a powerful conversation to have with somebody to really build loyalty. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you think about communities of color who have experienced generations of, yeah. you know, just and and really discriminatory, you know, policies and practices. And um, it takes a lot to you, you want to just make sure that you understand there's a background there. Every person, no matter their background, has something that is going to make them a little bit skeptical or yeah. distrusting. And yeah, you want to understand what that is and be be able to listen to them. I love that. That was so powerful. And you know what? A text message or an email is not going to solve that. I can just say that very clearly. It takes, it takes a human voice. It it takes, you know, it takes a, a listening ear. It, it takes a kind heart. It, it takes humility. These are the things that I think really make a difference in that at the end of the day. All right. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to transition out now. I, 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 so you, you've given us so many golden nuggets and we're so thankful um, for that. And I really appreciate your wisdom. And, and uh, I want to ask you this question. So you clearly have had a, a pretty incredible career already. Um, it, it's, it's pretty astonishing to me as I sit down and chat with you, just how articulate you are, how wise you are in this business and you're a young person. Um, and, and so here's my question for you. Um, tell me about what got you where you're at and any mentors you had. One of the things that I always like to ask my guests on this show is because I know for me, my life changed when I had people in my life that mentored me. I didn't have a lot of them, only had a couple. Some of them were, some of them were nice to me and some of them were not so nice to be honest, but they were mentors. Nonetheless, I learned a lot from them. I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of your story to where you got today, what were some of the key points? I think this will be encouraging for everybody listening is how do they become like you? How do they become, if they're not at the point in their career, they wouldn't be, how did you get there? And what were some of those key people or key things that drove that? Well, I love that question because I would absolutely attribute any six and all success that I've had based on the community that I've built. And so it's, it's all in the relationships, you know? So every step of the way, 
I started out with just reaching out to people asking for their advice on the direction of my career or, um, you know, I started this business. What are your thoughts on what's really needed here? And I think I, you know, I started everything and, and really built the, my entire company and career on the idea of understanding what's needed in the market. And so I worked with people, asked people their feedback and thoughts, and and then would partner with them on delivering some of those things. So that that was really important at every step of the way. But like you said, I had people early on that were both really positive and very um, difficult to work with. And both of them were <laughs> equally, I think, um, good for my, my development, you know? So I had someone very early who just, she actually, worked with me all the way up till after I sold the company. And so it was really cool. She helped me start my business and was just a mentor advisor at that time. And then later came and worked for me. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's people that just kind of buy into the mission and decide that they want to partner with you, but it's very relational, you know? And, um, then I had a person who treat, you know, was just like treated me in a very, I don't know, like, would say, okay, women can't be involved in this meeting or what well, it was very discriminatory from a gender perspective. And it kind of fueled me in this really positive way where I was like, I will become so much better than you think that I could ever be, you know? And, um, so, so I, I use some of that, but, um, one of the best and continues to be one of the most positive influences and mentors in my life has been Dave Savage, who I know that you, you know, and um, he has opened the door for me in so many ways, allowed me to, you know, early on speak on his coaching calls, which helped me gain some exposure. He gave me feedback, continues to mentor me and give me feedback and thoughts on um, developing my teams and um, career and all of that. But I think, um, you know, one thing that he has done that has taught me and as well as people, um, I, I think other people along the way that have helped me have, they've allowed me to, by partnering with me, we collaborate, but also, and so I deliver something back in return, you know, like I'll write stuff up about I, early on, I would write stuff about mortgage coach. And, um, now it comes naturally that I talk about it a lot, but I think, um, you know, trying to think about how to give back and make it reciprocal is really important. Um, and then for those other people who can open the door for you, it's a simple introduction or just introduction to a conversation, not a sale, but saying like, Hey, I think you should really meet Kristen and talk to her. That went so far to building my career. And then everything else continued to be built on relationships and really again, listening to them, what's, what are they needing and how can I deliver to support that? I love that. Dave and I have known each other. We've been friends for over 20 years. He, he really has helped so many people in the industry, really neat guy. So that's, that's cool to hear that. It sounds like he's been a major mentor in your life. And, and I loved how you talked about that the negative influences can actually be the most positive influences if you can just turn them around. And, and, I, and I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I, I tell the story many times of a, a guy that I worked for years ago was a manager of mine who started every morning for an hour in the morning as my direct supervisor by cussing me out for an hour straight, telling me that I was going to mount to nothing in life. And a year and a half later, he literally uh, took my, my wife and I, when we got married, he literally paid for our wedding as a business. He called it a business meeting and did it just out of the generosity of his heart because we'd become so close. And, and literally this wow. guy, he got every morning, but I, I just, I would smile and I go, 
Okay. And I just say, okay, what can I pull out of what he just said that I can grow from? I'm not going to take the personal stuff because he didn't mean it personal. I knew that. It's just who he was. He was just, you know, just Mm -hmm. one of those kind of leaders. I just took the good stuff and turned it into positive. So I love that you said that. I think that's so powerful. Yeah. I worked for a guy one time in a kind of consulting arrangement, but he, he was the type of person where if you didn't feel like absolute trash after every call with him, then he wasn't doing his job, you know? And so I, but I, I I felt like I, at first I just thought my life is miserable now, you know? I mean, I, and then I thought, no one person can or should have that authority or ability to influence you in that way. And it made me so much stronger because I started to, you know, say, like, I, I used to take, yeah, take the positive things out of it. And I decided I'm going to lead with empathy back to him. I wish he would Love lead it. with empathy with me, but I will do it back to him. And it changed my life. You know, I mean, it, it allowed me to see okay, he's, he's acting in the way that he thinks is the best way to lead. He's also scared of, you know, all these other factors. And so he's acting out of fear. And from that vantage point, I was able to keep my power and uh, my space in a positive way. I love that. It goes back to the saying I, I quote all the time. It's not what happens to you that matters. It's what happens in you that matters in, in all things in life. So I, I love that you turn that around. And and I'm guessing your relationship with him got a lot better. And he probably taught you, taught, you know, teach you a little different after that because yes, you were too nice. Yeah, I got so much better. And he actually used to, he would, early on, he would speak negatively, I know, to others and say, you know, she shouldn't be working here or whatever. And then towards the end of it, he became my advocate and was absolutely, yeah. But it was because I think I made that switch and it was very, yeah, very telling for me. Isn't it funny how the toughest ones end up becoming your biggest fans when all of a sudden done? (laughs) <laughs> Actually, one that's really funny that I've always been very conflicted about my response to it, but um, this guy had, and I hope that, well, so this guy had a proposal from me and, you know, it was really a big deal, but he kissed me one time when I thought this was a business meeting. And, um, and so I, and I was horrified, like I left the meeting bawling. I mean, I, I was just so upset and I was like, well, I'm never working with them. Thought it was going to be a really great deal, all this stuff. And then, um, and then I, I was told, you know, no, this is how so many women get pushed back and whatever you go back and just set your boundaries and say, I still want to work on this. And I put down the boundaries and then I never had an issue again. And I got an amazing contract and it, it changed that also changed the course of my career in a lot of ways. But I think that, you know, so many times we get pushed down, whether it's someone speaking negatively or doing something that crosses a boundary, whatever it is. And we have to come back and, and it's so good for us as individuals to be able to set those boundaries and move forward. Um, so I, I think giving yourself a voice, you know, back to the importance of giving customers a voice, it's important to give yourself a voice in those circumstances and um, it creates a lot of power. Spoken like a true social services <laughs> experience yes, person. That's, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's great advice right there is we do need to set boundaries and you know what? We, we've got to learn to, to just walk in our confidence and our, and our strength and, and people will, will change around us. There's no question about it. I, I love that you're able to do that. That's really yeah. cool. So let, let me close with this last question. In all of your um, growth in, in your career, is there one life event that, or even just into where you're at today, one life event that stands out in your life that was just that 
game changer, that thing that turned your course of your life in a powerful direction. And, you know, I, I share when I speak all the time, you know, I, I've had four or five of those in my life. Some of them not good ones where really bad things happened. And I really grew from those and learned from those. And some of those very good ones that happened. Do, do you have one that sticks out in your mind that 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 really is kind of top of mind? A life event. Um, I think that... Kind of a changing point, you know, a turning point in your life where you're like, you know, yeah. that... That thing really had a profound impact. And at the time, I wasn't sure, and it really did make a big difference. So I've, I've gotten, last session that I did, I was with the last podcast, but it was a Scott Payne, and he shared a very personal story that was super powerful, that was that was so encouraging to everybody uh, of just yeah. some struggle he went through that really made a difference. Anything you'd like to share? Well, I think that a very intense time for me was, uh, I was 24, 25, and I, um, got divorced and I had been married for a, almost a year. And, um, and I, I felt very devastated, you know, in a lot of ways, it, not necessarily over the relationship, but just over like, oh, how could I have chosen this person, you know, to be yeah. a life partner? How could I ever have thought this and all that kind of stuff. And I think, um, there's been multiple times in my life like that, maybe not as extreme, but where I've had to re-examine what, what it, what do I really want? And I think in that moment, which is, has been the case in others as well, where I had to look inside of myself and say, what is best for me? And I'm going to fight for what's best for me, you know? So I've always struggled with, like depression and different things like that as well. And any time where there's been a low, like where in that moment, very extreme low, I've had to dig inside myself and say, what I have to fight for the life that I want and, and no one else is going to do this for me, you know? And, and that resulted in me deciding to move to LA because I wanted to live in LA and, and it's been the, I mean, I have the closest friends here. I have a house here now. I have an amazing life that I've built because I fought for it, you know? And I think, um, I, I had to say no matter what, others are thinking or saying, I have to do what's right for me. And, um, and every time I've had those moments where I've been in some kind of low and I just, I say it, it shoots me much higher in a good way where you say, I, yeah, I'm going to put these things in place. I'm going to change my behaviors or my environment or whatever. And it, it propels you forward in a lot, a lot further than you would have gone otherwise. Well, thanks for being transparent about that. That That's awesome. And I will guarantee you there'll be a lot of people who listen to this that have gone through difficulties. You know, I, I know that I had years ago, I had a about with depression and I thought I was the guy that could never go through a depressive time. You know, I'm the motivational speaker, dude. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. happen to us. And you know what? We're, we're all people at the end of the day. We're all fragile. We all have, you know, difficult times we go through in our life. And it was a great building time for me. It was a great time, you know, to really reevaluate things, just like you said. So those words are super encouraging to a lot of people. Thank you for sharing that. Um, this has been delightful. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you, Kristen. You, you brought so much wisdom, so many good ideas, so many practical suggestions. Um, now, I, I know that um, we want to make sure that everybody uh, starts following you on LinkedIn and what, what, where else, where can they, where can they follow you? Where can they connect with you? You know, any, any final thoughts on that as to how, um, you know, the audience can, can really make sure they're connecting with you in a, in a one-on-one -on -one way. 
Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best way. I also have a video series, which I'm going to have Dale on at some point as well, um, called Pivotal Moments, and that's on Next Mortgage News. Uh, but I post all of that on LinkedIn. So, and we we also have a broker specific program called Brokers United that we're just now launching. And um, but if you connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me, then you'll see all the updates and news. So thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. It's been an honor. It's been great. You truly are a humble hero. I wish I'd have worn the t-shirt now because you qualify, but I'm going to send you one. So you've got one. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> it's great seeing you, Kristen. Thanks for the time. And thanks for, for just dispensing so much wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been great. Batting a Thousand is a production of Mortgage Champions, a company that's been transforming the people who transform companies since 1995. Have a suggested topic or guest? Contact my team on Twitter. That's at Dale Vermillion. Or tweet us using the hashtag batting1000. That's hashtag batting1000.